Right now, let's welcome up uh, Kent Sunberg and Gretchen Sunberg. Kent is our fabulous pastor of Next Generation Ministries. I think he's walking. He might be stumbling as he is still recovering from, oh, there you go, that's it. Still recovering from a great week of VBS last week. Uh, Kent and Gretchen and 160 volunteers led an amazing week of Vacation Bible School last week for 280 kids. It, it was a great, great week. 280 kids here from within our church and the broader community. It really is an outreach as well. We also had Compassion International here with their Compassion Journey. Another dozen kids were sponsored in Columbia. Uh, with our partnership there, kids uh, that will be rescued from poverty in the, the name of Jesus uh, through those partnerships. number of faith conversations well, with kids and families, including some kids uh, that we believe uh, put their trust in Christ well, for the very first time last week. It was a great week. Well done, both of you guys. Really, really well done. You know, the reason that we have Kent and Gretchen on stage with us right now is because after 12 years of full-time service to this church, Kent and Gretchen have earned a sabbatical. And uh, we're really happy, yeah. Very, very happy for you guys. Uh, Kent and Gretchen came here some 12 years ago to lead our worship and music ministries. Fantastic worship and music pastor for a number of years until about three and a half, four years ago. He took over children's ministries, next generation ministries full time. For a couple years in there, he was doing both, which is crazy. But he was doing both uh, for a couple years in there. And then the last three or four years been uh, only focused on Next Generation Ministries, and my family is deeply indebted to your family, so much so. And frankly, anyone who has grade school kids in this room, um, preschool kids, nursery kids in this room, anyone who has in the past five years is indebted to this family. And they have worked so hard over these past 12 years, and our, our elder board had the wisdom a number of years back to institute a sabbatical policy and uh, Kent's going to take advantage of that, along with Gretchen and their kids uh, this summer, to take some time away to be refreshed. And uh, I've asked Dave Challey, who's on our elder board, if he could tell us a little bit more about our sabbatical policy here. What's the purpose of it? Why did the elders put this in place? Yeah, first I want to say how, how thankful I am that uh, that decision was made to uh, uh, honor a sabbatical after a certain number of years for, for our pastors. Um, it's an investment in our pastors. It's an investment in their, their families and, and the spouses. But ultimately, it is an investment in our church because allowing our, our pastors to be um, to have some time away, to have a break, uh, is, a, is a really big deal. And actually, the sabbatical is, is twofold. There's, there's two reasons why, why we do it, uh, to refresh and to recharge. Ministry is a calling, and there is no doubt that each of our pastors has been called to, to do what they do. Ministry is incredibly rewarding as well. They get to have a front seat to see life change and what God can do through, through people's lives. But make no mistake, ministry can be exhausting. It, it can be exhausting as they walk with all of us through, through our hard times, through our our grievings through through our relationships that uh, that need help and and they carry that uh, they carry that with us they walk with us and their families and spouses especially do too 
So as, as uh, Kent and, and Gretchen and family uh, go on these next couple of months, we, we pray that they would be able to uh, re refresh and to, to recharge in, uh, in uh, spiritually, emotionally, physically as they, as they do that. But it's also to retool. And, and each of them has things that they want to accomplish in the time that they're gone. And, and sometimes it can, be, uh, it can be reading books. It can be going to, to conferences and seminars. And it can be to visit other churches, other ministries, to learn things that they can bring back to our ministry to make it even better. And so they're not just on a break. They're not just on vacation, although we trust that they will be able to refresh and recharge. But... Um, there's things they want to do. And I just want to make one mention of the fact that they're able to do this, that our church is able to do this, is a testament to how they have developed leaders and teams around them. Because you'll notice that we won't miss a beat. We will miss them, but we won't miss a beat because their ministries are going to be very, uh, are going to be run very effectively. So, uh, but, but this is about blessing uh, Kent and Gretchen and Meredith and Ethan and Tabitha as they take some time away and go into a, a new routine. So I'm going to come behind you, Kent, and I'm going to I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we we thank you so much for this brother. Uh, as Adrian has said so well, boy, just the the families that he has invested in, the lives that he has uh, come alongside. We are just so thankful, and so many families are thankful for him and what he has done in his ministry, God. We just ask that you would be with him uh, and bless him as he takes this, this time away. Um, and Lord, I just thank you so much for Gretchen as well, because we know that pastors' wives um, carry the burden with them. They share in uh, the joys, they share in the struggles. And God, I just pray for, for Gretchen that she would have a time of refreshing, of being, being with the family. Uh, and, and Lord, for the, uh, for the kids as well, I am so thankful that they have a man who is an example of, of how to do ministry, is an example of someone who loves his family well, loves his church well, um, God, and loves his, loves his kids. So God, I ask for protection for them. Uh, God, I ask for just a time of refreshing and recharging. Uh, bless their family. And we look forward to seeing them back at the end of the summer. In Christ's name, amen. It was Mark Twain who once said that when he was a boy of 14, my dad is so ignorant I could hardly stand being around the old man. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. It's kind of like that with our dads, isn't it? With our grandpas, with our mentors, with our coaches, and with our teachers, we sometimes do not realize how much our dads and our grandpas and mentors and coaches, and on and on we could go, how much the men in our lives have done for us until a little bit later on, until we reach that stage ourselves and we realize my dad had my back, my dad cared about me, my dad loved me, he wasn't perfect, or this mentor loved me, this grandpa loved me, he wasn't perfect, and uh, 
I certainly see that in this church. So, so grateful for the men of this church here on Father's Day. We have uh, tremendous men in this church, wonderful fathers and grandfathers, men that I really look up to a great deal and that inform my um, life as a father as well. We also have a lot of guys in this church who, who feel like it hasn't gone well for them as a dad. There's lots of guys in this church in that spot. And I, I just want to say to you, if that's you, man, thank you for being here today. Because you're choosing by investing in your spiritual life today, if it hasn't gone well in the past, you're choosing today to say, I go forward from today. I don't, li I don't live in yesterday. I go forward from today and seek to be the man that God wants me to be from here and right now. So, so, so very grateful for you coming as you are, whatever you brought into church here this morning. You know, one of the most uh, memorable stories that I've ever heard as a freedom-loving Christian, and that's what I am, and as a father, comes from a man by the name of Sparky Anderson. Sparky Anderson was the general manager for the Detroit Tigers and the Cincinnati Reds. He's one of only a couple general managers ever to win a Major League Baseball championships for two different teams. Who remembers that face? Who remembers the name Sparky Anderson? Okay, a number of you. He uh, w was a legacy-type manager. But he admitted on the eve of winning the World Series back in 1975 as the manager fought for the Cincinnati Reds at that time, he admitted to being a failure as a father with his son. Don't, in, don't miss this really vulnerable admission that he makes. He said this, It was about two years ago that I told my boy Lee to get his hair cut. It was long and it was tied up in a ponytail. And I told him to get his hair cut before I came home again. I came home that night and it wasn't cut. He was out in the garage on his knees fixing up his motorbike. So I told him to get it cut and he said, no. There was no way that I could win. I saw that if I wanted him to cut his hair, I was going to have to get down on my knees and whip him with my bare hands. I didn't want that. So I just walked away. I cut him off from me. I had no communication with my boy for over a year. He talked to his mother, but not me. I lost my boy. Now, first, before speaking to that, let me just say, for Anderson to admit that is bold courage. Is it not? I mean, to vulnerably come forward and admit what had happened with his son and the way he failed, that is courageous. And the beginning of success is admitting one's failure. You admit your failure, you are on your way to success. You repent before God, you are on your way to success. You're on your way to forgiveness. The beginning of success is to admit one's failure. But my question is this, what, what is Sparky Anderson's admission there, of his failure with his son, have to do with what we've been talking about in the book of Galatians over these past weeks? What does it have to do with Galatians 3 that we're going to look at 
in just a moment. And you might turn there with me now in your Bible or on your device, however you get it. Here's what Anderson was doing. Don't miss this. He's taking an external, relatively superficial thing, a haircut. And he's turning that into a main thing. And as he does, he turns that haircut into the condition for his relationship with his son. And in the process, he loses the main thing. He loses relationship with his son because of this condition. Now, you know if you've been here this past five weeks that that's exactly what's happened in Galatia. You have these, let me just reset it a little bit. You have these leaders in the church in Galatia, in Galatia that are doing the same thing. Paul has experienced the resurrected Christ. Paul was a Pharisee himself who imposed all these extra laws on people. But then he had this amazing experience with Jesus in time and in space in which he saw the resurrection of Christ and it totally transformed his life such that he, while he once was a Christian hunter, all of a sudden he becomes a church planter and an author of the New Testament because he has this experience with the resurrected Christ. And so one of the things that he does is he launches churches. And he launches this church in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And they start off really good, about 47 A.D., 13, 14 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They start off going really, really well. But then a year or two later, after Paul is no longer there because he's starting other churches, this group of teachers comes into Galatia, and there are these leaders who are kind of spying on the freedom of the Galatian churches, the Galatian Christians, within that church. And as they're spying on the freedom, what they're trying to do is take superficial things, turn them into main things, and they are saying to the Galatians that you're not really a Christian unless you trust in Jesus and follow the dietary restrictions of kosher, prohibiting pork and shellfish and the like. You're not really a Christian unless you trust in Jesus and follow all the Sabbath restrictions. And on and on we could go. You're not really a Christian if you only trust in Jesus and you hang out with those filthy Gentiles. This is what they were doing. Now again, Sparky Anderson was saying, you're not really an Anderson unless you Get your hair cut. He puts this condition on top of the relationship, you see? If you're really a Christ follower, you will trust in Jesus and. What would you put after that word and? I love the way uh, Pastor Jordan put it last week. He had a great line in an excellent sermon last Sunday. He said this, each and every one of us is at risk of unintentionally trying to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all at risk of doing that. I would even add that some of us are at risk of intentionally trying to add some of our own flavor to the gospel of Jesus Christ because 
we can get a little bit uncomfortable with the scandalous message of God's grace that is completely different than anything we see in this world. I'm at risk of adding to the gospel of Jesus. And when we do this, when I do that, here's what the New Testament writers would say to me. Here's what the New Testament writers would say to us. Listen to Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. You got to know, Pastor Paul, he holds no punches. You foolish Galatians. You foolish Adrian. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by the things that you do, by all of those ands, or by believing in what you heard? Obviously, it's a rhetorical question demanding the answer by belief, by trust in God, by believing what you heard. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain, so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or is it by believing what you heard? What's the answer? By believing what you heard. You know, I, I would really, if I were you, underline and highlight and circle verse 3 in your Bible right now. Verse 3 of Galatians 3 is the central theological line in the entire book. In, in all of Galatians, this is the central theological line. He says simply, after beginning by means of the Spirit, after you entered into the family of God by means of the Spirit, because God saved you by His own righteousness, by His own goodness, He converted you, are you now trying to finish that work that He did by your own flesh, by your own works? Paul wants us to understand, he's shouting to us, that this is really a work of God. I love the way um, the message paraphrase of the Bible puts it. It says this, Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think that they could, that they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. <laughs> only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts what God has begun. You see, the message that the New Testament authors well, would have us understand is simply this. Spiritual life begins with God, and spiritual life ends with God. Let's say that out loud together. Spiritual life begins with God, and it, and it ends with God. It begins with God, and it ends with God. God will take us right where we are, whatever we came in with right now. He'll have us where we are, and then he is the author, and he is the completer of our faith. We simply say to him, yes, please. Thank you, Lord. I will receive that gift from the cross, even for me. I can add nothing to it. I take nothing of my glory. It's all your glory, 100%. Yes, please. Thank you, God. That's all we do. That's all we bring to the table. Now, I fear that perhaps in this series, we haven't quite explained why the Jewish Christians in Galatia were doing this, why they are adding all these ands to the basic gospel message. And I want to be fair, I want to explain 
uh, why they were doing this. And so in order to do so, we're going to spend a little bit of time today and then a lot more time next week talking about the different kinds of law that we find in the Hebrew Scriptures and how we as Christians must understand the different kinds of law in the Old Testament if we are to understand and apply them to our lives. People are regularly confounded and perplexed by the Old Testament. Anyone else? I'm telling you, if you understand, if you take notes today and next week, and you understand the differences between the civil, the ceremonial or cultural laws, and the moral laws, the Old Testament will begin making a whole lot more sense to you. How does that sound? That would be a really, really good thing for us to take notes on and learn from. Listen to a sampling of Old Testament law from Leviticus 19. Okay, the, the Jews of the day uh, in Galatians are getting their law from this, out of Leviticus and out of the first five books of the Bible. Here's a sampling of the law. Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time to pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. It goes on. Do not plant your field with two different kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two different kinds of material. Do not eat any kind of meat with the blood still in it. Do not clip the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. You got all that? Can I get a volunteer to come up and preach that, please? What do you do with these? Well, if you don't understand the difference between civil law and ceremonial or cultural law and moral law, you will be utterly confounded by those, won't you? Or you will randomly apply some of them to your life and not others to your life, and there will be no rhyme or reason to it. Okay, so what's going on here is you have some civic laws and you have some ceremonial laws that, that I just read. So this one about do not go over your field two times and leave the edges of the field, leave all the wheat and all the corn and all the soybeans and leave all the, the grapes on the edges of your field and don't go over those again because the poor and the foreigner are going to come through and they're going to get those. What's going on there? That's a civic law that was part of the welfare system. In the theocracy that was called Israel, a way to provide for the poor of the land. Farmers, you still practicing that today? No, I'm guessing you're not. Because we don't live in the theocracy called Israel. Now we can still learn something from that about the character of God that he cares for the poor a great deal. We can still learn from that, but we're not practicing it the same way. Or how about some of these other examples that we saw in that passage? You cannot wear clothing made of two different kinds of cloth, two different materials. Cotton and polyester. Guilty as charged. You cannot eat any meat with blood still in it. Anyone like their steak medium? Guilty as charged. Okay, these are cultural or ceremonial laws. I notice some of you have clipped the edge of your beard. 
can't do that. Okay, now, these things don't make sense, do they? Let, let's just be honest. Let's just be totally honest. These don't make sense unless you begin to understand that God gave these cultural laws to separate the people of Israel from the Hittites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, and all the otherites, to separate them from those other people for a time that they would have their very own unique culture that was time-based and not transcendent for all people at all times. Do you see? This is critical, though, that we understand this. And the Apostle Paul is now saying to the church, why are you trying to make people go back to that? You weren't able to fulfill those laws yourself, and we know that Jesus came to fulfill all of those laws. And there is this Jerusalem council in Acts 15 that we talked about a couple weeks ago, in which they all came together, and all the pillars of the church said, let's not make it burdensome for Gentiles who are coming to the faith. Can I get an amen? Let's not make it burdensome by putting all these extra laws on the Gentiles who are coming to faith. And so he's saying to them, why would you possibly go to, back to that? You weren't able to keep it yourself. Those laws had a purpose for a time, and again, we'll get to more of that next week. But God invites us today, please don't miss this, God invites us today to something simpler. He invites us today to loving God with all we got and loving each other, loving our neighbors with all we got, including everybody. He invites us to living out of the Spirit of God who dwells within us, that we would dwell in Him more and more and enjoy His presence more and more, and the result would be that we are overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit, and other people see that. There's freedom-loving Christians, and they're enjoying God, and they're staying on the grace of God, and give me some of that. That's what He invites us to. That kind of life that is not on the hook, a life that is lived in freedom off the hook before God. Now, parents, we should now be doing some things in our minds, and perhaps you are already. How do we bring this down to my modern-day parenting? Do I ever have a gospel and type requirement on my kids? Because we parents, and me too, can be tempted to take too much emphasis, put too much focus on things like music and hair length and tattoos and we can get in lots of political discussions that go awry and look really ugly and you know those things have a place I have certain political convictions I don't have any tattoos I like the way God made me I like certain kinds of music more than others I have short hair and on and on so those things might have their place but ultimately, parents, please hear me. If we focus too much on those things, our kids miss the main thing. If we focus too much on those kinds of things, then what happens is this. We start to get infatuated with a bunch of do's and don'ts that I am doing. And then inevitably comparing the do's and don'ts that I am doing with the do's and don'ts that you're not doing. You see, legalistic religion always has its foundation all the things that I do. It always has that. Genuine Christian faith always has at its foundation what Jesus has already done. And living free out of that. Galatians 2.20 puts it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. 
and I no longer live. The old me in the flesh, it no longer lives. But Christ now lives in me. Christ lives within you. Christ is actually dwelling in you by faith. If you've trusted your life to Christ, he dwells in you. The Holy Spirit is actually in you, able to guide you and direct you to live according to the word of God, to give conviction to our lives such that we would honor him with all that he has given to us. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ dwells in me. The life I live, I live in the body by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Now the upshot of all this is every once in a while, someone will come to me and say, you know, Adrian, my, my friend wants to get a tattoo. My hypothetical friend wants to get a tattoo, hypothetically. Would it be okay, just hypothetically, if said friend got a tattoo? Who are you talking about, hypothetical? And, um, you know, people want me to give a black and white answer. But I don't have a black and white answer. I have an answer of the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Talk to God. Ask Him yourself. God gives freedom on some of these secondary things. And perhaps as you ask Him, you would maybe even want to ask Him, do I want to do this, whatever it might be, anything, fill in the blank, I'm talking about tattoos, but it could be anything, do I want to do this so that I could glorify God more, that he would get more credit for what's happening in my life, or do I want to do it so that I could get more glory? Do I want to do it so I could bring more attention to God, or do I want to do it so that more attention could be brought to me? You see, we ask ourselves these kinds of questions, we talk to God about these kinds of things, and then God says, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, do not put on any yoke of slavery again. Just live before him and ask him because he's an interactive God who can indeed answer your prayers. So don't live in legalism. It's too small. Live in God. He's too big. You see? Now, this can go the other way as well. There was a church that I'd interact with on a regular basis in Denver. And it was like the too cool church, if you know what I'm saying. And you would go into the church, and you'd see this gigantic mural on the wall that was probably 25 feet by 20 feet, and it was made up of little three-by-five photographs of people's tattoos from within that church. Thousands of them. Now, what is that saying? It's saying this. If you're really a Christian, you will trust in Christ, and you'll have a tattoo. Like, that's what it's saying. Or maybe you put it this way. If you're really a cool Christian, you know, this is how you do it if you're really a cool Christian kind of thing. That's just, it's malarkey. It's for the birds. All this gospel and. God, just toss it. Just toss it. If you're really a Christian, you'll trust Christ as Savior. You'll trust Christ as Lord. You'll live free out of that. You'll bow before him daily saying, God, would you have your way in me today? I live in your love and your embrace. Would you help me to apply your word to my life? You are the beginning and the end. God is not a God of the gaps. It's, it's not that he begins our salvation and then we kind of finish our salvation. No, he, he's the beginning and the end. He's the author and he is the finisher. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He's the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. 
We simply cooperate with His will, yielding to the Spirit of God that dwells in us. And then in love, He spurs us on. You know, Paul actually goes on to say that this is how God intended it from the very beginning. Many times, well, we tend to think that there was an Old Testament way of salvation before God, and there's a New Testament way of salvation before God. But look again at verse 6, and we'll see that God actually gives the same means for us to enter into his family across all times. It's by grace through faith. Verse 6. So also Abraham, way back at the beginning, the first one that God called to himself and turned into a family, turned into a nation, so also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, if I were you and I'd take, I was taking notes in my Bible, I might underline that and say, wow, that is quite a statement. Where do I find that in my Bible? That's where you go to the concordance on the side of your Bible, and you will see there Genesis 15, 6. And so you go back to Genesis 15, 6, and you see this. Abram, as he was named, before he accepted God's call to his life, believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. Was it on the basis of what Abraham did? Somebody say no. No. It was on the basis of what God did. Abraham simply believed and he credited it to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Do you have faith? Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had fought. Come on, y'all. You aren't with me today. And I am one of them, and so are you. Yeah, let's all praise. I'll stop singing, sorry. (laughs) You're children of Abraham, even if I can't sing. You're still a child of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. What is the gospel that announced in advance to Abraham? That all nations will be blessed through you. Well, where was that announced to Abraham? Again, I would look at my concordance, and I would see Genesis 12, 3. So you go back to Genesis 12, 3, and you see all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your family and this nation, Abraham. And so also he gives uh, this invitation to us that other people will be blessed through you, through this covenant people of God, through this church, that God gives us his blessing, and then we bless others as we lean into him. So he's just quoting the Old Testament here. He's explaining that salvation was always this way. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It goes on to say, verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. So if you go before God, and you say, I was a really good person. I fulfilled the law. I was a really good dad. I was a really good mom. I was a really good husband. That won't do it. Because none of us can do it. None of us can fulfill the law. Only Jesus fulfilled the law. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Again, quoting the Old Testament. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Well, how did he do that? Jesus climbed up that old rugged cross as we sang about just a few minutes ago. And he became a curse for you. He took on the curse of our sins 
such that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees Jesus. He says the righteousness of God over your sin, over your shame, over your guilt. And he says you are forgiven, bud, because I see Jesus in you. Jesus took on the curse of our sin. God turned his eyes away from his son for those days such that he would never turn his eyes away from you. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now as I ask the worship team to come forward right now, and you just look at this line here, the blessing given to Abraham. What is that? It's the promise that God will make Abraham into a great family and into a great nation and that through that nation all other nations of the earth would be blessed. And what Paul is saying here is that now applies to you. That God is going to make you into a great person as you lean into him by grace through faith every day. As you swim in his love, as you enjoy his approval, as you recognize the reality that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he'll turn you into a greater man, he'll turn you into a greater woman by faith, not by flesh. The takeaway this morning is this real faith really works real faith really works I've known hundreds of people who have very weak faith I've known hundreds of people who have merely a cultural faith, a cultural religion to them and I'm telling you again and again it does nothing for them it does nothing for them but I've known people who have real faith and a very real God who climbed up that old rugged cross for them and by grace gave himself for us that we would live forevermore. And real faith in that really makes a difference here and now. Just a couple weeks ago, I've been meeting well with this guy for two or three months who made a decision for the Lord after being away from the Lord for his entire life. And he's 20, 21, he's made a decision for the Lord for the very first time and as I've been discipling him, I've, I've asked him, would you tell me, what difference is this making that you now trust in Jesus as your Savior who forgives you and is your Lord that you obey? And he said this, I just want to be good in a different way than I did before. I want to be good. In the past, I didn't even want to be good. Why? Because he was converted. And real faith in a real God, it makes a difference. It makes you a better father. It makes you a better husband. It makes you a better wife. It makes you a better mother. It makes you better in the workplace. It makes you better deal with the trials and struggles and pain that are coming our way. It makes us better able to deal with our finances. It makes us better able to deal with the desires that are so frequently unmet by life in this world. 
real faith really works. When you give yourself to Christ in a genuine, full-throated way, what happens is this, you receive the Father's embrace, and you realize, I may not have been embraced by my Father on earth, but my Father in heaven, He embraces me. And because He approves of me both now and forevermore, I live out of that. And it gives me power. It really works. I receive the unconditional love of God, and I live from the approval of God. I live from the love of God. And that changes the way I think of myself. It changes the way I think of you. It changes the way I think of my neighbors. It changes the way I think of the work of my hands on a day-in and day-out basis. Real faith, it really works. So I, I don't know what brought you to church this morning. But I suspect some people are here for the auto show. God brought you to church for something better than that. I suspect some others came to church because their wives drugged them to church. Or maybe their husbands did. But God brought you to church. Maybe your kids drug you to church because they heard there was bouncy castles here. God brought you to church. And Paul harps on this for the first three chapters of Galatians. And we've hit it hard for the past five weeks because the gospel is what we need. It's the beginning. It's the middle. It's the end. You begin by kind of weighing it as a baby Christian. You embrace it, and you start to kind of dip your toe into it, and then you start to live in it a little bit more. And I, I pray that we are devoting 15, 20, 30 minutes a day to being with God and enjoying His presence. And as we spend time with God, we start to swim in Him more. We start to swim in His love a little bit more, and we start to experience a bit more what it means to live in the gospel, that we are unconditionally loved and accepted by God. We are welcomed into all of His presence, not based on anything good that we do, but, ba but based on who He is and on what He has done on the cross. And we swim in that more and more. We live out of that. Friends, He's the beginning of your salvation. He's the one that continues His work in you. He's the one that we go to for our approval each and every day. He's the end of it all. And he invites you and me into his family today without condition. <laughs>